Well, I need to just take we've got. Who here likes watching films on DVD? Please put your hand up if you like watching films. Brilliant. I expected a few. A few of you can't be bothered to put your hands up. To you lot. Okay, brilliant. Uh, keep your hand up if you like watching the special features that come on the DVD. Okay, just put your hands down. Now, I don't, but some people like watching those special features because the director has put his film together in such a way, he's made his choices about the way it's going to be, and you watch the film and all said and done, bang, that's, I'm happy with that. But some people like go through the special features, don't they? They like to know what happens behind the scenes. They like to know what the director was like and why he made his decisions and what went on backstage, okay? And some of you like saddos. Why watch the special fit? Well, let me ask you, I reckon you're going to be this kind of person. Who here, and you've got to confess, likes watching The X Factor? Okay, Patrick, oh, pick me, pick me. Brilliant, keep your hands up if you do. Keep your hands up if you do, okay? And keep your hand up if you also like watching The Extra Factor. Okay, what's The Extra Factor? Put your hands down. The Extra Factor is they go behind the scenes. Okay? You go behind the scenes to find out what is going backstage that makes the show the reality that it is. Yeah? It's really weird that we sort of, well, some people want to go behind the scenes with the, the sort of special features. Some people want to go behind with the extra factor. It's really sad. And I want you to put your hands up for this. If ever you have seen and read a, uh, a celebrity gossip magazine, oh, how those rock your soul. But you want to know what's going on behind the scenes, don't you? We like to be on the inside. Sometimes it's because we're curious. Sometimes, if we're honest, it's because, well, to feel like you're on the inside and see what really goes on in the shady world of some of these things can be, well, yeah, it doesn't bring out the best of us, does it? But then there's other times where we want to know what is on the special feature, what is behind the scenes, why, what is the real story behind it, because we've got that question. What is the first question that people ask well, the first, the biggest question that people ask when difficulty, hardship, struggle, toil, disappointment come. What's the big question? Sometimes it's where's, where's God or why? Have you ever sat and asked why? And you want to be able to go behind the scenes. You want to, when you ask why, you're saying what are the inner workings that are going on behind there in the midst of this? And that is why we've got the book of Revelation. It is wonderful because... Well, the people who received the book of Revelation were troubled. They were politically powerless. They were socially despised. They were regularly mocked. They were financially disappointed. They were Christians century in a world that hated Christians. And we've been hearing a little bit about this every week. So if you're a visitor here or it's the first time you've been part of Revelation, just believe me when I say that for them... It was like feeling the squeeze every single day. And the question that would have come out again and again and again is the question, why? If only I could see behind the scenes. What is going on? Is there any rhyme and reason? I cannot make sense of this. And there we come to Revelation chapter 4. And in Revelation chapter 4, a door opens, a curtain is pulled back, And in fact, chapter 4, verse 1, after this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open. A door into the heavenly throne room of God. I saw a door standing open in heaven. 
It wasn't that by their good deed they'd managed to figure out how to open the door. This was a door that had been opened for them. What have they contributed to this revelation of the behind the scenes, special features, the extra factor of heaven? Nothing. It was found and grounded in the character of God who says that when somebody is struggling and you're asking that question why or how it is I'm going to overcome and keep going, he is the God who wants to give you the resources to make sense of who you are, what life is about, what is going on in this world that some would say often feels like it's running helter-skelter. See, the reality is, you watch the TV this week, and when you watch the news, you will have seen the same, very same things I've seen. So there's this business about Cambridge and what she was or wasn't wearing on a holiday. There's more economic gloom and doom. There's a little bit to try and buoy our spirits with a little bit of uh, sports news, Liverpool drew again and haven't got their first win of the season and Dave's smug about that. And that. But if you turn to the news, all you will get is the physical and the temporal. You won't. In the physical world, you need to know what's going on in the spiritual world. Because the two are linked, and in fact the spiritual world holds sway over the physical. We will never understand what is real unless we see what's in the book of Revelation and in chapter 4. You won't really truly see. Let me push that a little bit harder. You don't know who you are until you see the wonderful truths that are found just in this bit. And wow, I've had the opportunity to read this through 50 or plus times this week and every time I read it I see something new and something fresh. How do you talk about the throne room of God to people like you and me? How do you talk about the transcendent God in ways that you and me can understand? Sometimes I I, I have the joy of sitting down and talking to the, the seniors uh, at Welcome Club on a Monday and I use words like internet and they just go what is it? is it like this ropey thing that's strung up between like big towers that dwell somewhere just below where the aeroplanes fly what's this web has it got a spider that sits in a room and knits it all together internet what's all that about because I suppose unless you've grown up with that you just can't engage with it I mean, imagine if we spoke, we went back in the time machine and tried to explain to, um, I don't know, Henry VIII. Henry VIII with all his fancy big sort of, you know, how he always used to dress, always ate too many pies. And you sit down, I'd like to tell you about how we were looking you up on the internet. And he says, what is this devilry? He'd just be like, he wouldn't have a clue. Because how do we grasp the realities of the throne room of heaven? The mysteries, the splendors. And what you'll notice all the way through this chapter is words like the appearance of. It was like, but not really. It was as if the Apostle John, as downloaded, had this amazing vision given to him by the Lord Jesus Christ, this door open, he goes through, and just like, all this stuff that he can't explain, flies at him and he says, Oh, I can't have a go. I'll have a go, but I don't. I, can, I can't describe the indescribable. I'll try and find something in our terms of reference, in our reality, that vaguely, sort of, in a roundabout, not really, but I'll have a go kind of way, communicates the magnitude, the awesomeness, 
So as we go through here, don't you dare pull out a book, a picture book or a scribble book, and try and draw it. Because it defies being drawn. Because it's in categories way beyond what we can engage with. But there's enough there, not for us to be able to know what it looks like, but what it's like. We will see as we look into this, who God is, what he is like. We're not going to get the geography of the throne room of heaven. We're going to get the feel of the throne room of heaven. Which one's going to do our soul more good? Okay, so I'm just going to look on, for the remainder of our time, I just want to look at two things in this, this vision here. Uh, the reign of God and the worship of God. That's the two things we're going to look at. The reign of God and the worship of God. Are we ready? Okay, so I'll, I'll read the first six verses for the reign of God. After this I looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven, with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carmelian, a rainbow resembling an emerald, oh, what that looks like, I have no idea, a resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits or the sevenfold spirits of God. Also before me, the throne was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. And in the centre, around the throne, were four living creatures. And we'll come to those in just a moment. So, what's happened to start off with? John goes through the door. He looks, and he sees a throne. And at that point, can you imagine the level of relief on this fella? There is a throne. How many times have you been in a conversation with someone, what's going on in the world? It's going nuts. No, there is a throne. Let me tell you, there are no accidents. There are no... Have you had that conversation with people who's just vaguely trying to make sense of why they've lost their job or why somebody's treated them very badly and they're just saying, well, everything happens for a reason and they put things like this and cross and sort of, oh, that's like, I wouldn't have asked for this. No, there is a throne. There are no mere pawns. There are people who are precious to this throne. We are not the product of blind chance. We are not some sort of product of random cosmic ooze created by impersonal forces. In other words, we're not disposable. There is a throne. And it is a throne. And what's a throne supposed to do? A throne is not a committee. A throne on a throne... Who sits on a throne? A king, a ruler. Can I tell you that in heaven and in the spiritual realms and over this earth, it is not a democracy. They don't need to call together a focus group and ask your opinions and whatever opinion comes out the most, that's the way we'll go. No, there is a ruler and a throne and he is never in doubt as to which way to go. It is not a democracy, it is a theocracy with God as the king. There is no red tape for him. He does what he wants. He rules supreme. And if there is one thing that this vision is supposed to communicate, is how high, elevated, and lifted up. That's what that sea bit is there. There's a measure of distance. Even the other things that are near the throne, and around the throne, can't get near the throne. And that's just the throne, and there's him who's on the throne. 
He is absolutely supreme. And in that Roman world, when then poor Christians were getting told, you must bow to the throne of Caesar, and he seemed to hold all the sway. And if he said, off to the gladiatorial arena you will go, they would go, and it seemed as if he had the highest throne, and here in this vision, no, no, there is an ultimate higher throne, which basically means, and I love this, there's no and never panic in heaven. Is there panic in your household? Of course there is. Oh, she's messed the pants again. Quick. Fix it. Change a nappy. Do whatever. Panic sets in. Oh dear, we're late for the train. Oh, panic. We panic. Anybody go through yesterday without a minor panic? Maybe, possibly one person did. Okay? There is never panic in heaven because the Lord is on his throne. There's drama in heaven as he plays out his story of salvation, but it never gets turned into a drama. I think too many of us, we watch EastEnders so much, and you know in EastEnders, everything gets turned into a panic. Such and such says this, 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 and it's almost like the the drama takes on a life of its own. My little life is so sad, I've got to build up the drama a little bit more just to make the drama into into a total crisis and shouting. And we start echoing what we watch. There's no EastEnders in heaven. Isn't that a relief? But do you get what I'm saying? There's never any panic. There's no drama. No. It's like little Becky the other day. Daddy, I can't do my homework. Oh, Daddy. And I try and help her with a little bit. Oh, I can't do it. It's panic. It's panic. No, it's panic. And then Jane comes in and suddenly the look on Becky's face check. Oh, Mummy's here. She can do my homework. No panic. The Lord's on the throne in the centre of heaven and there's no panic. That's what we see. That's what Phil's saying. You need to read the reign of God. There is a throne. Now you need to know this. Why is this important? You need to know this for the day when trouble comes. Because the day when trouble comes and you're tempted to panic or there's genuine hurt, can I tell you the difference that it makes to know that the Lord is on his throne is huge. I had a minor panic this morning and I was like, on the phone and something changed and I've made arrangements for this, this, this and this and then suddenly, oh no, and I'm gutted and I spoke to Jane on the phone she said, you're, you're really bothered by, by this, aren't you? Yeah, you're, really, you're not okay, are you? I was like, oh no, 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 put the phone down and then I looked at the title of what I was going to preach. The Lord is on his... Oh well. <laughs> Must happen for a reason. The Lord's with me. So, I don't mean to be silly with this, but we're all going to say that because you need to practice saying it to your own soul and you need to practice saying it and praying it for other people. We're going to say that the Lord is on his throne. Are we ready? The Lord is on his throne. Now, in a group like this, you don't really have to say it as if you mean it. You didn't say it as if you mean it, but can I tell you, you need to take that one to the bank. By the end of today, the very least by the end of tomorrow, life will pull the fast one on you. And when that happens, you need to say, the Lord is on his throne. That doesn't mean we don't feel hurt and pain, because as we bleed, we do. But we're not crushed. These disciples were not going to be overcome, because the Lord is on his throne. Can I ask you, have you taken that to the bank? And the reason we can put our confidence in that is because of what comes next. Because not just the fact he is on the throne, but because of his character. 
and his splendor. Let's have a quick look at this. I love this here. Got to go through this really quick. Verse 2. At once I was in the spirit and there before me was a, uh, was a throne in heaven with somebody sitting on it. Yes! And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian and a rainbow resembling emeralds. So he was like, yeah, these are, these are three gemstones we've got here. Jasper. Um, it's not, a, not like modern day jasper. It's a little bit more like um, back in those days. It was because um, of the way they cut or didn't cut it was a bit more like a diamond but a dull diamond in terms of the fact you couldn't see all the way through it it wasn't quite transparent carmelian that was red emerald as you know is green and it's sort of encircled so as he looks at this it's like this I don't know if any of you have seen the, the crown jewels you know you, you've seen a picture and they keep the movie you never see the crown jewels more than once because you look at it from another angle and it's a different thing and you turn another angle because of all the angles of the gems and they're just shining you get this sort of cacophony of light flying at you and you're just like that whoa so that's what, what, what John experienced here. Splendor. He just looked and just like, and he's like, all coming down at him from on top of the throne. He never described, tries to describe the one city on the throne. He hasn't got the words for that. He just he sort of explained the ambience around him. Verse 4, surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. If you come to fellowship group on Thursday, I'll explain why this, but because of the lack of time, uh, there's a couple of opinions about who these 24 thrones belong to and who the 24 elders are. Opinion number one is that they are Christians. Opinion number two is that they are angelic beings who represent the full people of God. Twelve tribes of the Old Testament covenant people of God before Jesus. Twelve apostles representing the fullness of all those who will hear the apostolic message about Jesus. New covenant believers. Twelve plus twelve is? Twenty-four. For what it's worth, my opinion is that those are twenty-four angelic heavenly beings who represent and are like the heavenly counterpart of the complete people of God. Old Testament, New Testament, everybody who bows before the throne. They're there with white robes on and they've been crowned. We're told in another part of the Bible that if you have trusted in Jesus, you are raised into the heavenly, spiritually speaking. And I think we've got a picture of that. We've got the fact that around the throne are those representing God's people. God's people are right near in the presence of of God. Let's keep on reading. From the throne came flashes, lightnings, rumblings and peals of thunder. Now that isn't the first time that comes up in the Bible. The most prominent place where that comes up in the Bible is where God weds himself to his people in covenant love at Mount Sinai, the giving of the Ten Commandments. And he says, I've saved you and redeemed you. Now this is what it will look like for you to be my people. And I will be your God. And all the people stood at the bottom of the mountain. Don't let us go near there. It's mighty. And it's rumbling. And Moses shouted, but God is for you and with you. Yeah, but we don't want to go too near. We don't want to mess with him. But this is a picture of his splendor. It, the court, it's that funny thing if you're a Christian. You desperately want to go near God, but you don't want to go too close in case you die. And here we've got that playing out. That there, there is this magnificent, mighty, holy one. And he's in the midst of his people, and his people are called near and are there. And it's in the power of the Spirit. These are the seven spirits of God. So those, those lamps, or better, not lampstands like in chapter 1, these are torches that were blazing. 
a picture of God the Holy Spirit blazing. Go to Zechariah chapter 4 to have a, a little look if you want to know more about that. And then there's this sea of glass that in some ways, and we heard it in Ezekiel, is almost like a distance and about the inapproachability of God. And you notice how the geography of this thing is moving. Where do you put the... Are the, are, are, the, are the thrones right next to God? Are they are there? And they, is, the, is the sort of sea thing here? And where are the spirit? And where's the torches? And it's, you're not supposed to be able to draw it accurately. It's talking about what's going swirling around in this amazing heavenly reality. It's splendid. It's awe-inspiring. It re- re- reflects the character of God. And I suppose the thing that I'm so encouraged by here is the fact that when people come near God, when those thrones are near God, they sort of reflect him a little bit. We talk to you about this a lot, don't we? We talk about the fact that when you come near to Jesus, well, it's the truth of everything, isn't it? What you come near to and set your gaze upon and dwell upon and live by, you tend to become like that, don't you? So if you spend your time... I mean, some of you, if you listen to this quite carefully, you'll, you'll rush out. So if you spend your time looking at all these fashion magazines where you've got all those super, super thin models and they're wearing all those posh clothes and they've got all those indifferent looks and all those poses, you know, you start to become like them, don't you? And you say, hold on. No, I've looked at all those super thin. I, I, some of you want to rush home, buy a magazine, start looking at it. I'll become like No, no, I'm not talking about physically. Because all those... his love of community his building into the lives of another that impacts you and you start to reflect something of who he is and what he is like Thank you. 
really loud for us.
Church Street just where they put the big Christmas tree in the middle of the street ready for the Christmas celebrations. And is Thank you. 
24 creatures and the 24 elders and all of heaven bows down. In fact, what we've got is two parts singing. I love this. It's, the posh word for it is antiphonal singing. One part sings one bit, one bit is part sings the other. So all four creatures they bow down. They lay their crowns before him and say, was a creator um, and he wound up the world a little bit like a watchmaker and he bunged it there he off on his holiday to Ibiza and just kick. He designed it in such a way that it could just keep going without him being That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible tells us that every single moment in the history of time in that second it was being consciously held together, glued together, cohering together because of God's conscious thought at that moment. The Lord got about so far that seconds she would see raise The people are talking about come from, what mechanism the Lord False worship is to well, is to turn our attention to other things that cannot be as sustaining as the true and living God. It consigns us, if you like, to, and you feel it every day. I must put my eyes on something that will deliver for me. Perhaps that thing will. And so what we do is we consign our life to like spasms and jerks, and we're at the mercy of almost everything we turn out.
You rain and so you throne and then we're supposed to do what they do which is take time to stare at the glory of the Lord we don't get yet to visit heaven we get to dwell in wonderful words that tell us enough of what we need to know to be able to dwell on so we pick some songs that help us do that perhaps the music isn't quite good taste and if that's the case I don't want that to be a distraction I apologise but please the music is the minor element here it's the words, it's the song, it's the realities that he's spoken. We're going to sing about how he is holy. We're going to sing that he's an awesome God. Presence. We're going to sing, behold the throne and the reign of God. So the other day, we couldn't shut our fellowship group up from singing. How many of you are here? here the I'm afraid it's one. We're starting off 